The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Besides Still Waters. And we are going to continue with Blue Sky Chronicles, which is a look at the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, as the Son of God, as he walked on this dusty earth, the earth which he created, but he walked on it in a sin-cursed cosmos. And now he brings the way of life, the character of the person who is indwelt by the Spirit of God and lives in this scene uh, as his Spirit comes to indwell the believer. So today we are looking at uh, his exhortations about laying up treasures uh, on earth versus heaven. And then he talks about the lamp of the body, which is the eye. Or the, and uh, lastly, he talks about serving two masters. Now, these might seem to be uh, disjointed topics uh, existing independently of each other. But in truth and in fact, they are quite related. And so we, we're going to be looking at uh, certain things that are unseen, like an unseen place, which is, of course, heaven. And, and that's what he talked about, laying up treasures in heaven. But heaven is unseen. And then we have uh, an unseen light, which is darkness. And uh, I think it's in verse 23 of chapter 6 of Matthew's gospel. You know, he talks about if your eye is wicked, then the whole body will be dark. So darkness, (laughs) believe it or not, is a form of light. And we will see a little later on in our conversation. And of course, the unseen master, which is, of course, God. So there are some unseen things, the unseen place, the unseen light, and the unseen master. Now, uh, the Lord Jesus opens his teaching to his disciples, which were gathered unto him. Uh, It is traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. But he really was having a discourse uh, with his disciples, I, I surmise that there were others who were present, uh, but this is to really reach their hearts and minds. And of course, he's talking about uh, uh, several topics, you know, things that are valued, treasures. Uh, he talks about places, heaven and earth, and where people store their treasures. And he talks about risk, loss, and gain. He talks about health, the health of the lamp, 
the sight-seeing organ, the eye. And of course, he talks about persons, masters, and slaves, and affections. These are, you know, somewhat tangible things. So his his discourse on these three unseen things covers quite a bit of, of territory. But he addresses what is considered the common human experience. And that is, we plan ahead. Every one of us, we, we plan ahead. Uh, it, it's not uncommon that someone will, uh, for example, in their place of employment, they will make a deduction out of their gross pay uh, to a retirement account of some sort. So they're saving for a future event, retirement. Uh, others may have other means. They may build houses and uh, investment properties. Uh, they may buy land and lease it. There are a variety of measures that people take in the, the, the scope of the human experience to lay in store to offset a future anticipated need. And so the question for us is, well, how do I offset the risk of loss? How do I mitigate the risk of loss? And, and Jesus addresses this because he talks about thieves digging through. And of course, the way how the, the homes were built, uh, typically of clay of some sort and, and, and you know, a variety of materials to harden it, but they can dig through. And he talks about moths. Now, when I grew up, you know, moths had a way of destroying stored clothing, stored cloths. So you had to take care and add a variety of substances to to uh, kill the moths so they don't kill your garments. <laughs> you can put it that way. But people are trying to mitigate loss. And so... His audience and the Lord Jesus is pointing to the fact that they're faced with a challenge. How do I mitigate this risk? How do I minimize the potential occurrence of future loss? And then Jesus put his finger on the heart of the issue. And that is the location where we place our treasures reveals the located place of my heart's affections. You see, what's driving the place that I select, that you select to store your treasures is revealing first and foremost what your heart's affections are tied to. And whatever that object is, it's located somewhere, either in a place that is uh, subject to high risk of loss or in a place that is subject to no loss whatsoever. And this dialogue becomes less about what I treasure and more about where my heart's affections are centered. And I want to repeat that. The unseen place, okay, the place that we can't see 
or the place that we see, what he is addressing has less to do with what I treasure because he doesn't identify the treasures. And it has less to do with what I treasure and the primary point, the objective, the thought, the, what is germane to his teaching is where my heart's affections are centered. In what arena is my heart occupied primarily? If you recall, when uh, Samuel uh, was tasked by Jehovah to find a new king because Saul had failed his commission as the first king. And he went to the sons of Jesse and they paraded them before uh, Samuel. But none of them, I believe it might have been the, the, the first son, but of course Samuel was sort of enamored with his bearing, his stature. And the Spirit of God told Samuel that man looks at the outward appearance, but Jehovah looks at the heart. And you would find that in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and at about the seventh verse. Man looks at the outward appearance, but Jehovah looks at the heart. God starts the evaluation of a man's character, not at how he appears, but where his heart is, his heart's affections. That is always key, and you will find that theme repeated throughout Scripture. Now, Jesus now reveals something that we, and I want to highlight this, we need to see about our hearts. He is revealing something that we need to learn about our hearts. And what we value. What are the treasures we hold dear? And I don't want you to, to necessarily itemize them. But I think you could categorize them at a very high level. What are those treasures? What is the substance that those treasures are made of? And the substance is important. Because, for example, I, I remember my first car. Uh, it was what is called a lemon. I, I purchased it for $500, but I spent over $1,500 in repairs. <laughs> so obviously, I lost my money and then some. But my first car was important to me. I could see it. It was made of metal and plastics and, and a variety of fluids. But that car can be destroyed. It can malfunction. And, and thirdly, what puts the treasures at risk? Who or what has access to them? And we start asking these questions and you say, well, is that, does that matter? Well, it does matter. You see, when I ask myself, what is it that puts my treasures at risk? I am about to reveal my own heart to myself. The decision 
and I want to say this carefully, the decision to secure my treasures is driven by my heart and not by the treasure itself. My heart drives the decision. The commodity that I deem as important to me was determined by my heart's affections. And so, my friends, I want you to think about what moves your affections. What moves your affections? The selected place that we consider to be secure was evaluated and determined based on the location where I placed my affections and that place I assigned a certain value. In fact, Jesus said it quite clearly that where your treasures are, there will your heart be also. Where your treasures are, which was a predetermined place, it was predetermined by your heart's affections. And so we are told, for example, in Colossians chapter 3, and I believe the second and the third verse, but Paul exhorts Christians in Colossae to have their mind, their affections on the things above, not on the things on the earth. And then he said to them, you died and your life is hid with the Christ in God. But he exhorts them where to place their mind, their affections. And so when we think about the unseen place, which is heaven, juxtaposed to the earth and where people tend to store their treasures, that's not really the heart of the issue. Because what the Lord Jesus is dealing with is a problem. Remember, I, I, I mentioned to you about risk, mitigating risk. And the first problem is we do not see the risk we created because our vision is obscured. The lamp that bears the light has obscurities, blockages, it's not whole. It's not sound. So when he starts talking about your treasures and where you place them and can thieves get access to them and can moths destroy them versus a place in heaven, most people don't even think about heaven because they've reasoned to themselves, I can't see it. And so the issue becomes not the choice between heaven and earth, but the inability to see one of the places. And therefore, by virtue of our blindness, by virtue of the obscurity to the lamp of the heart, we only select the place we can see. And we fail to see what is now obscured, and that is heaven. So it's not so much earth or heaven. But we can't make a legitimate choice because the lamp is defective. 
And typically in that culture, it was a, a little object bearing a wick and oil. And they could place it somewhere that's high enough and illumine the room or a menorah. But he's talking about the lamp and the light that's emanating from it. And part of the problem is we fail to choose wisely where to place our treasures for security because the, the, the view, the vision, the, uh, if you will, the vista of, of heaven is obscured. And so the Lord Jesus is really bringing it down to a specific problem. We do not see the risk that we ourselves have created by placing what we treasure in a place that can be destroyed, accessed, marred, taken, because our vision, I emphasize and underline in our thinking, our vision is obscured. Hence, Jesus turns the corner in this dialogue to the key issue, the lamp of the body the eye. He says the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is single, that is whole, the entire body will be full of light. But if your eye is wicked, and we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, then the whole body will be dark. And this is the key why I said that darkness is a form of light. Still, he says if therefore the light that is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? The lamp of the body is an eye, the eye. It's placed on a lampstand. <laughs> he's not, you know, they can identify with the physical lamp, but he's pointing to something far deeper, the eye of the heart. It carries light. It's the apparatus through which light travels. The storehouse for our treasures isn't seen with this eye, this physical eye. But the process of seeing and the object to see with is what the Lord Jesus is putting his finger on. The process and the object to see with. If it's healthy, no obstructions, full of light, it will see clearly where to place treasures that cannot be accessed, that cannot be marred, that cannot be destroyed. But most people fail in their lifetime to make good, sound, eternal choices, partly because of ignorance, driven by blindness, obscured vision. And they only see one place where to place treasures, not recognizing that they have placed themselves at risk. Paul, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, prayed for the church at Ephesus that the Father of glory would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And here it is, being enlightened in the eyes of your heart. B, 
being enlightened in the eyes of your heart. So the eyes of the heart are functioning correctly. And as a result, they can, those who have a correctly functioning eyes of the heart, can see the glory associated with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and can experience, if you will, the touch of the Spirit of God to impart wisdom and revelation in knowing and growing in Christ and understanding and apprehending the things associated with the Lord Jesus Christ, his person, his kingdom, his working, his filling. But these are eternal things not seen with the naked eye. They are perceived with the eyes of the heart. But I want to tell you, there are healthy people with 20-20 vision, yet the eyes of the heart are obstructed. The eyes, the apparatus that's containing light, it allows all the elements to be uh, absorbed, simulated, processed, and we have with healthy physical vision, know where we are and where we need to go. And if there are any obstructions in our way and what path to take and who is in front of us and what we should do. Why? Because we have clear vision, we understand the world around us, and we are able to make good decisions with respect to our safety, our goods, our families, and so forth. But if our eyesight and the delicate apparatus of the eyeball is affected, whether by diet or health factors or other then the entire body feels the effect because I would be putting myself at risk, perhaps to drive or walk or moving around in my home. Why? I can't see potential obstructions that might cause me injury. And so my sight is obscured. My sight is darkness. And I'm not able to function in a physical world because of that darkness. So to the spiritual eyes of the heart. If it is whole and healthy, I can see heaven. I can see earth. I can make an accurate determination. Where do I put my treasures? I can assess where there is minimal or no risk whatsoever. But I, wa I want to remind you of something. For example, if we were to go to, we don't have to turn to it, but if we were to go to Matthew 15, there were blind people that moved and lived in the time of the Lord Jesus. And they did so with limitations. For example, when a blind person needed to be healed, they would bring them to Jesus. There were blind people who also had perfect vision. And a lot of the religious leaders of the day, Matthew 15, again, Jesus told them of their blindness. He told them that they were the blind leading the blind and both would fall into a ditch. Yet these people had perfect sound physical vision. But they were blind as to eternal things 
and they were blind as to who was in their presence. They did not recognize the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Peter, who's just a fisherman, when the Lord Jesus asked him, you know, who do men say that I am? And, you know, some said John the Baptist and so forth. But then he asked him, well, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed it to you. Peter had eyes of his heart that were sound. He could see it. He can recognize it. And so Peter made a decision regarding his career choices. And he, earlier in the book of Matthew, left uh, uh, his, his fishing boat, his, his fishing uh, uh, career, if you will. And he was told and promised by the Lord Jesus he would become a fisher of men. He would now begin to store treasures in a place that could not be broken through by thieves and moths could not tarnish it. Sometimes blind people depended on others for their welfare. They begged for a living. Blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Okay, he begged. He relied on the goodwill of others. But when Jesus was coming and passing, he had clear spiritual eyes. In fact, when Jesus was passing through Jericho, there were two blind men. And they cried out to the Lord Jesus for mercy. Why? Because they had eyes of their hearts perfectly sound while their physical eyes were obstructed. They recognized, they saw beyond the seeing eye who Jesus was and they did something. They cried out for physical vision. And my friends, I want to say to you, perhaps you're sitting there and evaluating yourself and you're not really sure what sort of vision you have. And I want to encourage you and challenge you to cry out to God as the, those two blind men that the eyes of your heart might be open. This is so critical that the eyes of your heart might be opened, enlightened, made whole. Why is this important? Because at some point you're going to open the scriptures to learn of the ways of God, the promises of God, and you're going to want to see it beyond the pages, to see the potential, the hope, the greatness of the promise. In fact, Peter talks about that, that unto us are given great and precious promises, 2 Peter chapter 1, that by these promises you might be partakers of God's divine nature. These are unseen things. We are talking about a life, a lifestyle, a way of living beside still waters that necessitates looking beyond time and space to promises that the Spirit of God gives. And we need, each of us need to pause and ask God, give me eyes to see what I can't see. I want to see. Now, some of you may be out there and you're just a genuine seeker. You want to know if these things are true. My friend, ask God to give you eyes to see. Open the eyes of your heart. Just simply say, Lord, I want to see what I cannot see unless you enabled me to see. Open the eyes of my heart 
that I might see the things that are heavenward, eternal things, the glories that are unseen to the naked eye. Give me open eyes of my heart. And so these people, as they cried out to be relieved of their physical blindness, there were some that chose to remain in their physical blindness, in their spiritual blindness, I should say. They saw the Lord Jesus perform great works of miracles, great works of power. And they failed to recognize that no man can do this. But I want to, I want to highlight Nicodemus in John chapter 3. I think this is remarkable. Because here's a man whose sight was beginning to open slowly. The eyes of his heart were beginning to see what he couldn't see. He was beginning to see light, eternal light, eternal value in the person of Christ. And he came to him by night and said, No man could do these works except God be with him. And then the Lord Jesus began a discourse on the need for the new birth. Couldn't enter the kingdom nor see the kingdom. And again, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. But Nicodemus is on earth and the only kingdom he knows is the Roman kingdom. And yet Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. Nicodemus needed eyes to see this. You and I need eyes to see this. And so he came wanting sight. And if you looked at this man's life, if you followed his progression through the Gospels, his eyes were being opened as the months, the weeks and months and years passed during the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. There were those who saw, yet remained blind. Matthew 23, verses 16 to 19. And there were those who were blind, <laughs> and yet they saw. They had perfect vision. Matthew 15, verse 30. And of course, blind Bartimaeus had eyes to see who Jesus was. And so the conclusion here concerning the unseen place is that Jesus considered blindness of heart to be a form of light. The darkness is a form of light. And he says, if the light that is emitted by the lamp of your heart is darkness, meaning if it is ignorant, if it is obstructed, wicked, diseased, then that light is a great darkness. Because everything is at risk. Your eternal destiny is at risk. If, if you are a devotee of the Lord Jesus Christ and you cannot see beyond time and sense, then you may be living in such a way that the, the benefit, the reward for faithful service may not be yours to apprehend. Why? Because time would have been wasted. You would not have placed your treasures in a place that has no risk. This darkness is a light unseen by the naked eye. And it greatly affects where I choose to store my treasure. So we saw the 
unseen place, which is heaven, cannot be seen with the naked eye, but with the eyes of the heart, yes. And the unseen light, which is darkness itself, and because the eyes of the heart are obscured. And then lastly, the Lord Jesus comes to the unseen master. And he says, for example, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and will love the other, or he will hold or cleave to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Not that you, you can, you, you know, shades of gray, if you will. You cannot, he said, serve both. Both masters are juxtaposed to each other. And so Jesus makes the health of our heart's eyes the main determinator in establishing a relationship with one or the other master. You see, my friends, we are relational beings. We will submit to an actual or perceived deity. Everyone will. Every one of us. Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 6 that we are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. But having been crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been set free. Now, we may not feel free, but we have been set free. Paul can say when he wrote to the church at Galatia, I have been, and in the original languages, I still am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. And because we are relational beings, we will submit to an actual or perceived deity. Jesus uses specific terms, for example. Uh, he uses the term serve or slave service. See, this isn't a free will issue. One of us, we, every one of us, will serve a master. And master is curios. That is someone who has supremacy, who has power of decision over us. And you're thinking, money doesn't have power of decision over me. Well, you don't have enough. <laughs> but I guarantee you, talk to people who have money. Even Solomon said, money answers everything. The more money you have, there is no want. Whatever you need can be purchased. Money has power, the power of decision. And we find ourselves wanting more of it and more of it because the more we have, the more we want. And the more we want and obtain, we perceive we have power. It, it responds to our requests. And Jesus says, there's a love-hate relationship. One, we will detest and pursue with hatred. The other, we will give unconditional love. And if you talk to people who love money, who really love money, there are no conditions. I love money. Now, they're not going to tell you I love money, but you can tell by the way they live, they love money. And he says, you will either despise one and cleave to the other. And this relationship is binary. There are, not, there are no grades of distinction. It's an either-or relationship. Money demonstrates its power. And we will yield ourselves to be filled with more of it. But my friends, God does so also. God has 
power. Paul could write concerning the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above what I ask or think. And we are exhorted to be filled with that Holy Spirit's presence and power. And so the eyes of the heart will perceive one or the other. If the eye is hold, it sees the power and grace of God available to me to live above the standard way of living in a sin-cursed cosmos. We dealt with that earlier about the Beatitudes. And as God can cause a donkey to speak to a man or an average man to have superhuman strength or an average man to have wisdom above all men, if the Spirit of God can do that, if I yield it to him, he also works a transformation in my life. But if I don't yield to him, if I cannot see the greatness of the grace of God available to me, nothing will happen. The God we slavishly serve will be determined and chosen by the health of my heart's eyes. If my heart's eyes are healthy and whole, I'm able to make a rational, clear-headed decision as to where I place my treasures. What is important to me? What is the commodity I'm sending forward? And learning and knowing how to do that. To send it forward. For a future time and use. But the condition, the the health of my heart's eyes, if obscured, if obstructed, if ignorant, if diseased, then I'm unable to see the unseen place and I will make a decision to set my priorities here on earth and to pursue earthly things which cannot help my eternal welfare. Why? Because I'm blind. I'm darkened. I'm like a man whose physical eyes are obscured and he can't find the door. He doesn't know if he's about to go over a precipice. He's not able to operate uh, an automobile. He can't get around uh, 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 objects in his space. He can't find how to dress himself appropriately. He's not able to determine if he's fit for public exposure. Why? (laughs) Because his sight is obscured. And so too the eyes of our hearts. Oh, my friends, when we are in the presence of God, quieting ourselves beside still waters, that is the moment when we ask God in his mercy, because he's willing to open the eyes of our hearts. As I mentioned earlier, that Paul exhorted Christians, that he's praying for them. The the, uh, Christians at Ephesus, he's praying for them, asking God, the Father of glory, 
to give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I need. He says, enlightened in the eyes of your heart. I need my heart eyes opened. And I'm asking God often for myself, open the eyes of my heart. That when I open the sacred pages of the word of God, that the spirit of God helps me to see beyond time and sense and space and to properly assign value to things that cannot be tarnished by time. That I would be able to see the workings of God in my life, his care, his providential presence. And to see and perceive and enjoy these things, it necessitates wholeness of heart, open eyes. And the one who receives (laughs) open eyes, is able to place their affections appropriately and to enjoy the presence of God. In fact, as we think about being with God beside still waters, it is really a moment when we not only sense, but know and believe and experience the presence of God in a sacred place. But if the eyes of my heart are not whole, I'll never know what that is. But that is my prayer for you, my friend, and for me. That when we quiet ourselves in God's presence, he will give us eyes to see the eternal glories, to enjoy the things of the Spirit, to be strengthened by his grace. May God grant this for each of us as we seek His holy presence beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.